Heavenly Father, we do just thank you for a chance to come together and worship you, a chance to come together and have fellowship and renew um, renew our minds on things that are, really matter, things eternal, and to encourage our faith and, um, and God, just to share our hearts with you. And I just pray that you would um, meet us here this morning, Lord. I pray that you would give us ears to hear from you, every person that we could hear from you. Lord, as we look at your word, which is living and active, and it, it teaches, it corrects, it rebukes, it trains. Lord, I pray that you would teach us this morning through your word and through your spirit. Um, and I ask for, for all this grace, Father, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we've been doing the uh, the one-year Bible series. So how how you guys been liking the one-year Bible series? We're about four or five weeks into it. Anyone like reading the Bible daily? Yes? No? Maybe? Anyone hate reading the Bible daily? We're going to get some ushers to find you there. So, uh, no, just joking. But it's uh, it's been a fun series, and I understand the one-year Bible is just a tool. Some of you, if you have other ways you want to read the Bible, you want to read it sequentially. I think even if you want to read the Bible while you're upside down, it doesn't really matter. that You're reading it daily is what matters, and, and this is a tool to help get you there. I've found three responses to the one-year Bible that I that I get most often. One is, uh, you know, people have not heard about it before. One-year Bible, what is that? You know, is it a different language or whatever? But um, some people have, have not heard it, and, and so I'm sure by now you have. And I know we still have extras if you haven't gotten to get a Bible yourself, but it just gives you a date, and you can just start flipping through it. Um, and uh, I know there's some people, at least on the south side and maybe here as well, that have been reading the Bible for the first time. There's a gal a Russian gal with us down on the south side of town who's never read the Bible before and she's starting and she's like this is good and she's writing down her questions and reading it for the first time ever and I know some others are doing that as well but um, so the one year Bible some of you you know maybe you've not heard about it before that's one category you can be in the other one is you you might love it uh, how many of you love the one year Bible <laughs> yes yes I've been reading the one year Bible for probably over 20 years and I do other formats of reading the Bible sometimes as well, but this has just been one that's been like, help me make God's Word like my daily bread and get a daily dose and bring it into my relationship every day. And um, sometimes people can have a, a, a hate the one-year Bible sort of thing. I hope that's not you, and, and, and that's fine if you don't like the one-year Bible, but I would just make sure that it's not um, a, a number of people I've interacted with, even over the last couple months, are, I really don't like the one-year Bible, and I'll be like, well, so how often do you read the Bible? Eh, you know, two or three times a day, but the one your Bible is terrible, you know. But why? You don't read it daily, but you don't want to do this way. And I kind of just hope, uh, you know, if you're not reading the Bible daily, you know, you might look into this as a tool. It's a really helpful tool. And if you are reading it daily in some other way, praise the Lord. Um, but again, it's it's a great tool. It's changed my life. It's changed the lives of those around me. My kids are reading the one-year Bible with us this time through. So it's been fun to... Uh, they are generating some questions that I've not had before. You know, reading through Leviticus, it's just a sweet read through Leviticus, right? I mean, that's... Uh, but my son, uh, Justice, asked me the other day, he's like, Dad, it's like, uh, you know, I'm trying to understand what's going on here, but he's like, it seems to me that the altar is just a really messy area. You know, blood everywhere, and there's you know, burning things, and, and I was like, yeah, it is. I guess it would be kind of messy, but what I know, that they clean it up. You know, there's a, there's a lot of things that you, maybe we don't know that goes on in the altar there, but I think they had a way of cleaning it up. It wasn't just blood everywhere that just accumulated for years. Um, my daughter was telling me about, you know, reading through the 
priests and all the skin diseases and stuff like that. You know, uh, how many of you have enjoyed learning more about skin disease and stuff? Uh, what we're going to do here, one application, practical application from Leviticus, is we're going to check your neighbor, turn to your neighbor, check, we're going to check their scalp for what is called the itch. Can you guys do that real quick and just turn real quick and see if there's yellow skin that has uh, white hair? No, I'm just telling this. We won't do that. But my kids are asking me, like, Dad, it seems like... They, they go to the priest, and the priest would tell them, this is wrong with you, and that's wrong with you. and But they would never tell them how to get fixed. You know, How do you get past some of these diseases? How do you get healed? It just seemed very discouraging. And, and we had talks about how, you know, how thankful we are that we don't have to have an Old Testament relationship with God like that anymore. That we have a New Testament relationship, and we have a, um, a relationship with God through Jesus. And we don't have to keep all those laws and all those rituals, and it's... One application of all of Leviticus is we have a lot to be thankful for in what Jesus has done for us. But um, there are good things in Leviticus too. This morning, I don't know if you read, uh, the second greatest commandment that Jesus said in all, all the scriptures. You know what that is? Love your neighbor as yourself. Leviticus 19.18. That's where it could be found. Leviticus has one of the greatest. He said two, two great commands. Love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. Nothing greater. All, all the commands and the prophets hang on those two. One's found in Leviticus. How about that? Praise the Lord. But I don't have a verse to share with you from Leviticus this morning. I'm going to share with you a couple other things I've read this past week here. So there's our giraffe tongue again. Um... Let's see here. Okay, so you might remember this from... Uh, oh, it was on Monday, actually. So we're going to read this, and I'm going to just share with you some some SOAP from my life. And SOAP, the acronym, I, I hope you know it by now. S stands for scripture. scripture. Write a scripture down. O stands for observation. Observations. A stands for application. And one of the whole points of this is figuring out how to apply this to our lives. And then P stands for prayer. Prayer. So it's a great way to cleanse ourselves with God's Word using soap. You know, it's a fun acronym. Gotta love those. Uh, anyways, let's see here. We'll, we'll read this together, and I'll just share with you some things that I, I felt like God showed me from this. Um, if you have a Bible, you can read along with me. Um, if you got a one-year Bible, it was uh, February uh, 20, 21st, I think. No, just, I don't know the day, actually. But uh, that day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was. I, I don't know what's going on there. This is not my point, but they took Jesus along just as he was. That was nice of the disciples, just to take him along, just as he was in the boat. Um, there were other boats with them. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. Okay, the application here is very clear, guys. Um, Jesus napped, and it is okay for you and I to nap, okay? That's what I want to draw out. No, that's just, that just, that comes for free. That Jesus napped, guys. He rested. And we're going to look at another verse where he actually has rest for his disciples as a part of his plan. It's encouraging. But anyways, the disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up and rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet! Be still. The wind died down and it was completely calm. And they were terrified. Oh no, we'll get to that. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? 
They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey Him. So the, the verse that, that I want to look at here, the verse that I wrote down, um, was, was the one here, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And so um, some of my, that's the verse I wrote down. Some of the observations here, um, one of them was just, seems like they didn't really get it, who Jesus was. They're seeing miracles, He's doing all these things, they're tagging along with Him, but somehow they still don't get it that He is the Creator in, in person, in the flesh. He is God in the flesh, with them, doing awesome things, and so they're all worried about, they're going to drown here. You know, I, part of me just thought, you know, well, if you drown, you're drowning with Jesus. I mean, what better way to drown than drown with Jesus? Um, if you did drown, he might have raised the dead by then, but he could raise you back up. Probably is another option, but they were really, really panicking there. And uh, even after all he had showed them that he could do supernatural things. And, you know, one of the applications for me is that sometimes I don't get it. And, and sometimes I have fears. Sometimes, like as in all the time, every day, uh, most times I, I deal with fear. And, and yet, I love Jesus' words, hey, Rich, don't be afraid. And don't you have any faith? Haven't you been getting who I am here? And I felt like that's what God had me thinking about. So I took some of my fears. Um, I started writing down things. This was last Monday, you know, beginning of the week. Got your to-do list. Got your fears list. Um, and I was just engaging with it and and going, well, yeah, here's a couple things I, I've been afraid of. And I wrote, started with two things and then three things and then four things. I got two and I decided to stop writing them down at that point. Um, but, you know... Uh, I just realized I had a lot of things I had anxiety about and fears about. And so I just started thinking about, okay, well, what has Jesus shown me before related to some of these circumstances, related to who He is and what He can do in my life? And and I wrote down a couple of them, you know. Um, one of them was just having fears about um, just about our church. And where we're at, we're down on the south side. We're a smaller crew than you here, and we, we are just trying to um, do outreach and grow. And, you know, we had a two-year campaign that we are starting into the second year of that. And, you know, and I can have some fears sometimes that, Lord, what if, what if this little boat sinks? What if, what if we go down and we don't see people added to our numbers? And, you know, we're, our hope is that after this two-year campaign that we're flush financially. We're, we're breaking even our expenses and our income. And, and we knew going into that, that would not be the case. And, and I can wrestle with fears. We have some outreaches we're going to do this month and, and next month for Easter. And just wondering, uh, boy, is, that, is it going to work? Is anyone going to come? Um, is, are we going to get our flyers together? So that was one of my fears that I was just praying about. Uh, another one was this whole um, remodel project. You know, we're remodeling and we've got these, putting some uh, some expenses to remodel. If you've ever remodeled before, it costs a little bit of money. Nobody really told me about that part. Um, just uh, a lot of work and, and, and a lot of money. And so I've been thinking all along, though, we've been doing this project for a couple months now, but I was like, well, we'll get these construction costs and we'll refinance them into one loan at this low low lifetime low mortgage rates, you know, and that was a couple months ago, but I don't know if you've checked the interest rates lately. They, they're not going down. They're going the other way. And refinancing and bringing this all together in a nice lower payment, that's, that's not what I'm looking at now. It was, it was my plan, and, and God was not following me here, and so I um, had fears about that. And then, um, you know, things that on Monday, we, 
I don't know about you guys, but February has been kind of busy. Do you know, I think Wednesday is March. Wednesday's March. What happened to February? You know, February is not supposed to be busy. It's supposed to be this low-key month after Christmas, before Easter. But our world, it's been a zoo, and maybe yours too. But um, I had a retreat I was at a couple weekends ago. I taught four times in three days. and then uh, So I was apart from my family. I was down in Arizona for that. And I came back. And then when I got back, my sister had a, my sister, my wife had her sister visit for a couple days. And then her sister's friend showed up. And so there was a lot of busyness. And, um, and then after all of that, I'm thinking, okay, my wife and I can finally get some time together here. I'm feeling some distance, not feeling as united. Afraid something could escalate and, you know, some misunderstanding happen. And wow, I was getting a little anxious about that. And then, and then after all this happened, I thought, we, you know, some downtime. And then she got a, a migraine. Occasionally she gets some migraines. This one was a multiple-day migraine. That she did not have one like that for six months. And so that wasn't a lot of connecting time during that. And, and so here I'm on Monday just going, Lord, our church, I've got to keep afloat. So finances, who knows what's going to happen here. My wife and I are, you know, so much busyness. And, um, but I just was praying, you know, the God who calmed... I don't know the last time I was in a boat and I thought it was going to sink and the waves were coming in the wind, but I do know times in my life where the circumstances are a lot of wind, a lot of waves, a lot of things causing me anxiety. Not not on a lake necessarily, but, but I know the same Jesus calms not only lakes like that, but he can bring a calm to, to your life and to your heart and to my anxiety and my fears. And I just started praying, Jesus, I need you to bring a calm to all of this going on. And uh, started just being reminded it's funny in the one year Bible one of the things I love about it is that when you take the Old Testament the New Testament and, and the Psalms I'm surprised at how many times there's a theme that goes from one to the other to the other it's like God knew some crazy people were going to divide the Bible up into these three parts and have them play out daily and there's these themes where you go the Psalm that day was talking about um, he is their stronghold in time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them because they take refuge in Him. I was reminded of another promise from uh, Psalm 34, 4. One of my favorite ones I like to bring into prayer when I'm feeling anxious. Um, you know, it says, I sought the Lord and He answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Another one uh, that I wrote down just reminding myself of what God is able to do in the storms and the winds of my life. How great is your goodness, um, which you store up for those who fear you, which you pour out in the sight of men on those who take refuge in you, Psalm thirty-one nineteen. But I started just thinking about things that I knew to be true of God and how He could calm the storms of my life. And, you know, by the time I was done, I, I felt a lot more peace. And, you know, that night my wife and I got to go on a date and, you know, eat at a restaurant, talk and synchronize. And, and now all the fears went away from that and um, we got a flyer together for our outreach campaign coming up and you know I just felt like God met me that day in the middle of my life and my fears and and his word was a real blessing to me and to my relationship with him and here's a picture of the flyer we're, we're working on here just talking about the arrows of life and how uh, we live in a broken world and arrows are, are wounding us and hurting our, our hearts and uh, we have to deal with that and we're going to do a series just related to life's arrows 
the hurt, the healing, and the homecoming. And we're going to use that in outreach. I'd appreciate it if you guys get a chance. Just pray for us down south as we, we're putting out, I think, 5,000 flyers in our neighborhood around the school. We meet at there. And each time we've put out flyers, we, we have got a response back from people in the neighborhood to show up. And so we're just praying that God would use that to, to help people through life's hurts, but, but also to grow His church and get a few more people jumping in the boat there as well. So um, you can join us in praying about that. Um, I'm going to look at another uh, thing, another verse here. Um, here's another one. This was from, oh, I want to say maybe it was Friday. Um, but Mark 6, we'll just read a couple of these, uh, this section together and I'll pull out a verse that uh, I wrote down for my quiet time that day. But um, Mark 6. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Doesn't that sound awesome? What Jesus would tell you today, come with me to a quiet place to get some rest. Sign me up, you know, put me on that list. Uh, And so they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Um, And, you know, so one, we're going to look at one verse from that and one from the second part of this. But come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Sometimes we can think being a disciple, it's hard. There's things we've got to do, choices we've got to make to follow Jesus in in this life. And um, But, you know, I think sometimes it's easy to go, yeah, you're a disciple. Just grind yourself until you can grind yourself no more and then you die. You know, that's following Jesus, right? Um, But the Jesus... That was, you know, calling these disciples, said, Hey, I want to take you to a quiet place. You guys have been busy, busy, busy. I want to give you some rest. And and that sounds kind of good sometimes. And, and that's that's what Jesus had for them. And I don't know what your thought of being a disciple is, and you've got to be constantly busy. But there's times he wants to pull you aside and give you some rest. The, the passage doesn't end there, though. Unfortunately, it goes on. But many saw them leaving and recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Um, when Jesus landed and saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. You know, so I, I was underlining things when I read the first time and kind of trying to go, all right, what's going to be my, my favorite verse here? But I like that rest. Come away and rest with me. But then I saw this one, and I'm like, well, what happened? I thought they were going to rest, and now this crowd shows up, and he's like, well, let's go, you know, let's go minister to the crowd. And to me, that caused uh, mixed emotions. You know, I was kind of like, I like the rest idea, but you're, you're letting these people interrupt to the rest, Jesus. Uh, if I was one of the disciples, I'd have some feelings about that. Um, you know, he says, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place. And Jesus landed. It was a large crowd. He had compassion on them. So he began teaching them many things. You know, why didn't he tell them, go away. I want some time with my disciples here. And, you know, I think there's some lessons in this. Uh, I just started trying to observe what was going on in my heart and what I thought of the scenario there. But Jesus, he, he cared about rest for his disciples. He did. And he told them that. And and yet he also had compassion for the crowd. And even letting, um, calling an audible to his schedule. He had a game plan for these guys and he called an audible. You know, Omaha, Omaha, there's a huge crowd here. We should teach them something. And and he did. And, and I don't know... But I started wrestling with some things in there. Did Jesus keep his word to his disciples? Or did he let some priority intercept what he said he wanted for them? 
And for whatever reason, you know, sometimes we can add the word to our head knowledge and our theology. But for, for me, I had a, somehow it hit me emotionally, it hit me in my heart. And I, and I thought about times when I was growing up as a kid. Times when my dad would say, hey, we want to want to do something. I'm going to come show up at your practice today. And you and I, I'm going to teach you. I'm going to work with you on pole vaulting. I'm going to help you with that. And yet something would come up at school. He was a teacher and there was always commitments and, and he wouldn't make it there. And I was going, Where, where's my dad? And he'd come home and he'd explain it. And other times it'd be like, hey, we're going to go on a picnic, take the family, we're going to go fishing. And, you know, on the side job, teachers don't make a lot of money if you haven't figured that out. And, and raising a family of five uh, on a teacher's salary, my dad had to do some side jobs with computer programming. And so there'd be sometimes on the weekends where he's programming and helping people out. And, and yet it seemed like he wouldn't follow through with some things he said he would do with us as a family. And I just went there in my heart and I was just going, Lord, um, what's what's up with this? And God, are you like that? Are you, you can kind of call an audible and we got to be okay with it, but it wouldn't work in a regular family relationship. And I was wrestling with that. And you know, I started trying to see, well, well, did Jesus lie to them? Did he, did he pull one over on them? Or if you're God, you can kind of say things and get away with that. And it left me with a tension I was not planning on having during my quiet time. And it left me with some feelings, you know, about my dad. But as I was journaling some of this, um, you know, I think there was a way that I believe that Jesus probably did both. You know, I don't know. It said that he went... Uh, the crowd was able to make it from one side of the lake to the other, which most uh, scholars would say that would take a while. And somehow when he was in boat, I wonder if he said, hey, disciples, we're going we're gonna to hang out on the boat for a while. We're going to have a picnic right here in the boat, you know. Take a nap. There's my napping spot. I give that, to, give that up to one of you guys. Um, I don't know. Maybe he did that. Or, or maybe um, they, they rested later. But I, uh, as I was thinking about it, I was just reminded of the character of God that he's revealed to us through the Scripture. There's a verse that came to mind was Numbers 23, 19. You might know this verse, but speaking of God and His character, He says, God is not a man that He should lie, nor, nor a son of man that He should change His mind. Does He speak and then not act? Does He promise and not fulfill? And I was just thinking about, well, you know, there's some times when my dad promised things and, and he did not fulfill. There's some times he let me down. There's some emotions... If I sit still and think about it, I kind of feel like, you know, I know there were all good reasons why, but I sense an ache there, a loss. And, and, but God is not like that. Your Father in heaven is not like your Father on earth, as good or not good as they might have been for you. And, um, you know, some of the applications for me was just distinguishing between some of my dad's errors. You know, your parents are in many ways to reflect God to you, the character of God to you, His love, His provision, His compassion. And sometimes our parents, they don't do that. And, and, and yet our Father wants us to know, hey guys, they were supposed to be a helpful picture to you of that, but, but I'm not like that. And I do keep my word. And I do care for you. And I do have compassion and need to teach you how to think about others. And, and God has the ability to do both. And, um, but I also realized that... Um, that I'm a parent, you know, and I can be like, oh, my parents, they, they scarred me so much. They let me down so many times, and I just, you know, if, if, if they ever make it up to me, then, then I'll get on with life, you know. But then I start thinking about my kids, and I go like, have I ever let my kids down? Well, no, not yet, right? Yeah, no. Every day, every week, I don't know, you know. And, um, and so I start realizing, well, 
it's true that maybe my parents weren't perfect, and yet neither am I. And I started thinking, you know, Jesus was real clear. The measure you use with other people, that's what he's going to have used on you with other people. Sometimes we like to measure them by how they're loving us and doing for us. And, and you know, that measure is what my kids could use on me. And I realized I, I don't reflect my father to them, my heavenly father, to my kids as well as I should. And, and I need to use a measure of grace as I think about my parents and, and so that my kids might use that measure of grace on me. And, you know, and just through it all, I was just reminded, you know, God is faithful and he does care for me and even my rest. And yet God, he has compassion on those who are, are lost and destined for hell. And, and I need to think about others you know, more than just myself and my needs here. And, you know, it was, I was not planning on this, but I, I've come to realize in life I have more emotions than I last thought I had. And I had some tears in this time and some just, you know, passing on in my heart forgiveness to, to my dad and my parents and, and just uh, being reminded of God's character and how he is, he's a good, good father. He never lets us down. He doesn't lie. He doesn't change his mind about things he's set to do. And, and I believe he was, they did both with the disciples. I think Jesus probably reflected the character of our Heavenly Father in both ways. And I don't know how. There's some things, obviously, that aren't recorded there. But but I believe that that's what God has revealed about Himself. You know, and so... Anyways, I, I just went on to pray some things just related to the Lord. Help me be gracious as I interact and think about my parents and, and help me be an example to my kids. And um, Let's look at this one last uh, last passage here. That um, This was, I forget, maybe a psalm on Wednesday, uh, Psalm 39. Anyone read Psalm 39 recently? You better say yes if you got the one you're following. Um, anyways, Psalm 39. We read the four, four verses here. One of them that I, I wrote down and, and tried to apply. But it says this: I will watch my ways and keep my tongue from sin. I will put a muzzle on my mouth as long as the wicked are in my presence. You know, there's a lot of application just right there. I don't know about you. One of the ways I fall short of God's design plan for my life is with my mouth. You know, and and saying things maybe when I too quickly or or not thinking them through or not filtering my emotions before I speak and um there's a lot of application there, but that's not the one that I had. That just that came along free for reading it again. Um, but when I was silent and still, not saying anything good, my my anguish increased. Verse three: My heart grew hot within me, and as I meditated, the fire burned. And then I spoke with my tongue: "Show me, O Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is." Again, there, there's an application just in Lord, show me. My life's end. I don't know if I want to know that one at this point. But um, the one that I did write down to think about was verse 3 here. Um, My heart grew hot within me, and as I meditated, the fire burned, and then I spoke with my tongue. Sometimes when you read, it's not just about getting a new and profound thought. Even though we live in this pop culture that wants everything to be new and, you know, go viral. um, The Bible has a lot of things that are meant to be reminded and remembered. And it's not a lot of like new things all the time and yet our depths of knowing God there's new things we can add to that but there's a lot of things that we just got to go back to the basics on this for me was it was a good reminder um, about what I think about and what I meditate on and so I wrote that verse down uh, my heart grew hot within me as I meditated the fire burned and then I spoke with my tongue you know a few observations again this is a reminder it was a reminder for me one of the things I like about the one year Bible is that every year you have a reminder of every single verse in the Bible 
Samuel and the Psalms and Proverbs twice. You know, a lot of good reminders in that format. Um, but meditating, uh, what you think about affects how you feel. Meditating on things generates intense emotions and passion in your heart. And, and then those intense emotions, when you think about something, it affects how you feel. And eventually how you feel, your heart's your control center. If something's on your heart, whether it's good or bad, it's going to play out in your actions. It's going to play out in your speech or your choices. And intense Emotion leads to action. In this case, he said, I thought about it, I thought about it, finally I just spoke. And he had something passionate to say about knowing how many days he had. But, um, you know, my kids were asking me, Dad, what does meditating mean, you know? And, and they were joking around a little bit, but they know meditating from like Kung Fu Panda or something like that. They were doing like, you know, Kung Fu Panda meditating. I'm like, no, it's not like that, you know. We, meditating, if, if you don't know how to meditate, if Greg and Brad aren't teaching about meditation at the firehouse here, um, meditating is a lot like... Uh, worrying, you know? You just, if you know how to worry, you know how to meditate. You think about something over and over again, and, and it creates emotions, fears, anxieties, and the point of this type of meditating, though, and meditating, regardless of what it is, it generates emotions. If you meditate on, on things, uh, you know, um, your circumstances, and how you don't understand how it's all going to work together, you get a lot of fears going there, and you'll, then you only start speaking that, or you'll go around frantic for your week there, and trying to bring things back under your control. Sometimes when you meditate about people around you, you meditate on their weaknesses. You know, if you're married, you start thinking about, ah, you know, my wife does this, or, you know, you think about how your, your kids have strengths and weaknesses, or people around you, co-workers, but you start thinking about other people and their weaknesses, or, or you, you might start getting a little agitated, a little frustrated. You might even take an action of, of telling them about it, or you might take an action of telling someone else about it, and, and that's called gossip, you know, and all of those are bad results of meditating, uh, criticisms, things like that. We can think about someone, you know, oh, I'd never say that to him, but I'd say that to you, and that's sin as well. But God's design for us is to meditate on His truth, on things that, uh, that He wants us getting our hearts stirred up about and taking action on. And God wants us meditating about those things that, that are on His heart. And so, um, you know, uh, as far as applications go, who am I thinking about? What am I thinking about? If I'm thinking about others, you know, I, I might get critical of them. I might get uh, feeling frustrated about them. I'm thinking about myself and my shortcomings. I might get dis- depressed, discouraged. Um, but if your eyes are on the Lord and you start thinking about His abilities and His character, you, you know, you might have something that's called a peace. And if you get real crazy and your eyes are on the Lord too much, you might actually experience something called joy. And you might have some of the fruit of the Spirit. And, and, but it has a lot to do with what you're thinking about and where your eyes are, the eyes of your heart. And, um, but one of the things God's been putting on my heart is to think more about the realities of the gospel, the things that are true in this gospel message, in some ways it can just be the facts. You know, we're reading the, the riot actors. You know, Jesus died. He rose. He's coming back. You know, deal with it. we got the facts here. Um, but the, the facts of the gospel, those are very true. Jesus came and died for our sins. And He, and he did rise again. Um, and He is coming back for us. But those facts are a part of a, a story, an epic story of God's eternal love for you and for me 
It's a part of a, a battle that's going on. Your life is being lived out on a spiritual battlefield of good versus evil. The God of heaven versus the devil of hell. One loves you and wants eternal life for you. One hates you and wants to bring you to hell with them. And, and there's some things going on that uh, uh, when I spoke at this conference uh, a couple weekends ago down in Arizona, I just felt like God was reminding me of the truths of the gospel. And one of the books I've been reading and, and rereading, actually I haven't read this for years, but um, God's been stirring up my heart on, on truth that I know, but in a fresh way, the sacred romance. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. It came out in the 90s, but it's just this idea of how God is trying to romance you and I. And yet we live in a broken world and there's so many things that happen and arrows are flying. We get hurt. We suffer pain. The devil whispers lies about that hurt. You know, lies about yourself and how the rest of your life will play out. Lies about how to relate to others. Lies about God and whether he has good for you or not. Um, But there's a battle going on. Sometimes the the gospel can be all about the good news. You, You need forgiveness. You need the good that God has for you. But the gospel is an antidote to the bad news. There, there's a being out there that hates you and wants to destroy your life. The thief, Jesus said, comes to kill and steal and destroy. And he's at work in your world today. Right as you walk out of here, before you got here, he wants to drag you down. And I've been thinking on some of these truths. And, um, you know, one of them I've been thinking a little more about is just that the devil is... Um, you know, God is good and He loves us. The devil hates us. Sometimes I just kind of forget there is a devil in the scene at all. You know, it's just, oh, it's my flesh or it's, you know, the, there's other things going on here. But um, just reading this verse is, is one that think, I've been thinking about as well. Revelation 12 talks about the devil and his fall from heaven and, and his being banished to the earth and eventually to hell. And, you know, it says this of him in uh, Revelation 12.10, For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God, day and night has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. It goes on to say, Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows his time is short. You know, guys, we, we've been given a mission. The firehouse, uh, one of the reasons we named it is all about our mission of rescuing people from the fires, eternal fires, flames of judgment that are coming for anyone who's rebelled against God. They were originally designed for the devil and his angels, is what Jesus tells us in uh, Matthew 25. But anyone who um, rebels against God the way the devil did will face the same judgment. Um, and just to maybe look behind the scene a little bit of what the devil's up to, this there's a there's a whole chapter here on um, things related to our adversary here, and and. The author of this book quotes from, uh, I don't know, anyone ever read Paradise Lost by Milton? Uh, I have not. And uh, I think it was an assignment in high school you had to read that I must have missed or something like that. But, you know, it describes some things from the Bible about hell and the fall of Lucifer. And um, and some things are, are reflect truth from the Bible. Other things, I think, are, are fiction that um, Milton wrote in there just to get us thinking. But at one point he talks about a scene when the devil and his angels have been cast out. And he gives some of his angels 
angels, names that we hear referred to in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And they're trying to decide, how do we get back at God? And they're debating, you know, well, we could try to overthrow heaven again, but, you know, that didn't work last time. And, well, we can try to just, you know, take, make this earth our, our place and just hope God doesn't mess with us here. And they have all these things. But one of them, uh, Beelzebub, has an idea at the end that he thinks uh, that maybe Satan should back and they could implement together. And I'm just going to read an excerpt of this here uh, because it stirred my heart to understand our mission and the importance a little more here. But he's speaking here and he's talking about whether he says, By force or subtlety, though heaven be shut and high heaven's arbitrator sit secure in his own strength, this place may lie exposed. I think talking about earth here. The uttermost border of his kingdom, left to their defense who hold it. Here perhaps some advantageous act may be achieved by sudden onset either with hellfire to waste his whole creation or possess all as our own and drive as we were driven the puny habitants or if not drive seduce them to our party that their God may prove their foe with repenting hand abolish his own works this would surpass common revenge and interrupt his joy And it goes on to talk about in his disturbance when his darling sons hurled headlong to partake with us shall curse. They're fated so soon. And he goes on and and the author writes here, Being unable to defeat God through raw power, Satan's legions decide to wound God as deeply as possible by stealing the love of his beloved through seduction, having seduced them to his party to ravage them, body and soul, having ravaged them to mock them, even as they are hurled to the depths of hell, with God himself unable to save them because of their rejection of him. This is Satan's motivation and goal for every man, woman, and child into whom God ever breathed the breath of life. You know, guys, we've been given a rescue mission. The devil of hell, he wants to seduce people into his punishment. He wants, to not, he wants them not to know the news of God's love and His forgiveness and His ability to heal. And he wants to seduce them to this party, if you will. And then he wants to turn and laugh at anyone he's seduced to choose to be there. And our foe, our adversary is wicked, diabolical, malicious. And our our mission is not just to bring good. Let's just do good. We want to do good. We're going to bring God's good. But we have an enemy who hates you. He hates your friends, your family, your co-worker. And you know, if, if you've chosen Jesus, well, he can't get you under the same punishment he has. But you know what uh, he wants to do to you and I, the disciples of Jesus? He would love to just distract you. He'd love to get you with your eyes on your neighbors, on someone else being critical. He'd love to get you entertained to death. He'd love to just anesthetize you to forego your mission with your short time here on earth. He'd love to just get you to bide your time and not get the good news of Jesus' substitution on the cross for us and how He gave us proof by overcoming death and how He's coming back for us. He wants to do whatever He can to keep you and I from sharing that. And we've got to be reminded. I don't know what you're meditating on, what you're thinking about, but I think if you're like me, we could all think a little more about the mission we've been given and our Savior and His love for humanity and His desire to have a loving relationship with everyone 
he's created. He wants that now. He wants that forever. And the devil of hell wants to, wants to hurt God. He wants to do whatever he can to, to hurt God for him being banished and punished. And, and that's the context in which we find our mission, the Great Commission. And I hope you would think about that more this week. And, um, you know, I, I hope you'd pray for us as we're doing a, a series, an outreach series related to this down south. That by God's grace, we might see some rescued. And that you guys would do the same here through the series that are coming up, through the Easter service, through your gospel groups. But that that is what God wants our hearts to be stirred with. And, and I think we need to seek Him for that. And I encourage you, when you get in the Word, look for the love of your Father, the character of your Father. Watch for snippets about um, the, the hatred of the enemy in there as well. It's not just uh, there's someone behind the scenes who would want us to to get to look down on God and not believe that He is good, ultimately. And let's let's just go ahead and pray, and we'll get on with, with our day here. Oh, Heavenly Father, we just thank You for Your Word. Lord, thank You that it, it is living, and, it, and it's active, and it works on us. Thank You, Lord, that You've designed things that we think about, that we let into our mind, that they will affect our heart. Help us to guard our hearts from those things you don't want, our, want them stirred by or seduced by. Help us to have our hearts stirred, Lord, with the things that stir you. Lord, you say you love righteousness, you hate wickedness. Help us to feel that same way in this broken world. Lord, I pray you would just give us a renewed sense of the urgency of this mission. And that there are people who've been designed to live forever in relationship with you who the devil would want to see banished to hell with him. God, help us to... Just help us to be aware of this. Help us to stir our hearts, not just our heads. Help us then to speak about it and take action about it. God, I ask for that in my own life. Stir me up more and more. Lord Jesus, I pray. And we just thank you for this time together. I pray you would continue to help us read your word, fuel our relationship with you through your word, become more like you as your word washes us and works on us. And we just thank you that that is what you have for us. That is what you've been doing with us through this series. We just pray all of this in the powerful and the glorious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.